When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to season two of Theodora Speaks. We just wrapped up season one, and I am so excited. Thank you to you, our valued listeners, for making it so fun, and to our guests, our exciting and enthusiastic guests, who talked about how they take have taken calculated risks in their professional careers to reinvent themselves. In season two, we're going to focus on career reinvention and how reinvention has no limitations. Society today still places a stigma around the 55 plus when AARP starts reaching out to this age bracket and companies look to encourage early retirement. But what if I told you the best is yet to come as we age? What if I told you that the gray hair and the wrinkles on our faces are symbols of achievement, success, and fulfillment? What if I told you, you are in control of your destiny, no matter your age, throughout the many seasons of life, you are always reinventing yourself. You just might need a little empowerment nudge from someone like me. So if you're thinking about reinventing your professional career, visit gailkeller.org for more information on how I can help you successfully fail forward without the crash and burn. I can help you empower you to take control of your professional destiny via one-on-one coaching and group mastermind sessions for women in STEAM and advisory programs for companies and universities on gender inclusion. Today's conversation is a special one. I interviewed Joan Buffalino, a visualization specialist, nurse, graphic designer, and healthcare illustrator, wife, mother, and grandmother. A woman who knows how to reinvent herself throughout the many seasons of life. Joan has always been called to help others from a young age, from being engrossed in Sherry Ames's mystery novels while others read Nancy Drew novels to tending to her insects in her bug hospital as a child, to helping humans as a nurse, to raising two distinguished gentlemen, and starting her own business after going to grad school in her 50s, to teaching healthcare marketing at a university, to encouraging her grandchildren to be curiously creative in their STEM activities. She truly is inspiring and someone I continue to admire to this day. She is my ultimate go-to person, confidant for advice on life's twists and turns and celebrations. From the moment I met Joan, I immediately admired her for all that she is. Recently, I had the pleasure of conversing with Joan's two talented daughters-in-law, Dr. Shams Buffalino and Kaylin Buffalino. When I asked them how they would describe their mother-in-law, they said in their own words, generous, creative, strong, selfless, always curious, fascinating, multidimensional, loving. And best of all, she raised two boys to be a reflection of all these things. Joan is a person you want in your corner. In a moment of crisis, she will do anything to help. In moments of celebration, she is a creative mastermind. Everything she does is rooted in love. Joan is the true definition of reinvention. She is a nurse who went back to school in her 50s 
became a graphic designer and owned her own company, and then went back to school to become a professor. Listen for what convinced Joan to take those leaps in her career. Today, we will cover topics from your ambitious risk-taking nature, from a young age, to career reinventions, to success having no age limit. Welcome, Joan, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Gail, for asking me to be here. Joan, we met, and I'm so excited that you're here. You are a great example of a woman who has successfully reinvented herself throughout the many seasons of life. Your most notable accolades, besides being a wonderful wife and mother and grandmother, are visualization specialist, nurse, graphic designer, and healthcare illustrator. I'm so excited that you're here to talk to us today about all of your experiences, the ups, the downs, the triumphs, and the celebrations. Picture yourself driving to the lake for a long weekend. You see the following billboard about yourself on the highway. My big sister, winding paths leading straight to success. Created by your sister, Ann Werner, who worked as a nurse practitioner for 40 years in many positions and ended her career at the Veterans Administration as the medical director of a community outpatient clinic. She's now retired, resides in South Carolina, and is studying to become a master gardener. When I asked Anne why those words described your very essence, Joan, she said in her own words, my big sister, my dynamic, exploring, ambitious sister. My sister, who at age 12 took the scary city bus alone every Saturday to downtown Chicago's Art Institute for drawing lessons. Her own idea, didn't know a soul, read the CTA map, and got there every time. Motivated because no one in the entire family had a lick of talent and she wanted to dip her toe in the artsy water. My ambitious, high-spirited big sister who lived away at college when most attended and lived at home. The first in the family to enter healthcare, rising quickly with her master's degree and carved a rare independent role at Loyola Hospital. Always a leader, rarely a follower. My focused, dedicated big sister who gave up her who gave up her first profession and got promoted to the corner office and the biggest job of CEO to the feisty Buffalino boys. Her commitment to the family, tutoring, volunteering for every imaginable job, and later, when in high school, she chaired a huge fundraiser that contributed greatly to building the first fine arts theater on Bennett's campus. Then, another transformation. My powerful, intelligent, and creative sister, Joan wasn't just satisfied with returning to healthcare, but transformed herself into her true passion. Combining health, science, art, and drawing, when she took a forked path into university again for a degree focusing on medical illustration. She could now draw fully muscled buff bods rather than her early stick figurines. She was now my empowered, energized, and highly recognized big sister, who jumped off into marketing, advertising, and became an expert in direct-to-consumer pharma marketing, among other things. Joan moved to teaching at her early Loyola University roots, passionately teaching, encouraging, and critically challenging a new generation of young college students to think about healthcare as a business as well. A broader, more robust field than merely checking blood pressures. And despite all her honors, 
her accolades, her passions and talents. She is, best of all, my big sister, my faithful companion, my beyond fabulous friend, and I will forever love her. So, Joan, I cried when I received this from your sister. And she did a beautiful job, I think, of describing you. She is a much better writer than I am. So you did good talking to her about the writing aspect and talking to me about the other aspects because I could never write as good as she did. You know, uh, Gail, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, you know, I, I would never say that about myself, but it's nice to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as she summarized it, the, the thing that she didn't do, which I'm going to do as we talk through this time, is that there were so many ups and downs in this reinvention time. So, so many things that, yes, I thought I could conquer, and no, I didn't. But, um, you know, I was lucky. I had great support system, she being one of the primary ones in my life, my husband and my kids. And it worked out to my advantage. So to kick things off, tell our listeners about your career reinventions and stops along the way. Well, the way that I want to start this is I want to just read a quote that I think is so exemplary of where nursing is today. Um, Nursing has never before had such a commanding presence in the care of humans. We have never, ever, in all the 40 plus years that I have been a nurse, have been recognized and complimented and rewarded for the things that we've done. And so I'm going to go back to my roots of why did I become a nurse and what kind of helped spur me on with that. I love it. There is a quote that I will read to you and I'll tell you where it was from after I read it to you. And that was that this woman can solve problems and capture criminals when men in authority have failed to do so. Mm. Now, who was this about? This was written in 1943. And this was written about a nurse called Sherry Ames. Now, I don't know how many people have, have, have heard of that. I'm sure you've heard of Nancy Drew as you were growing up. But Cherry Ames was the job-hopping, mystery-solving nurse that was there for everyone to give care to whoever needed it. And she was my hero. Mm. I loved it. I, I just, it was, that was who I wanted to be. She was going to be, I was going to be her is what I actually thought in my life. She was, I mean, she was everything that I wanted to be. Everything in every way. So she inspired me. And, and from that, then I said, okay, this might be where I want to go. And Joan, how young so were that, you? I was 10, 11. And one of the things that also kind of reinforced that philosophy is that I loved animals. Not every animal. I'm not a dog lover. Um, I love bugs. I loved bugs. And so what I would do as a young girl, maybe, probably I was maybe eight not 10, but eight, I would find these bugs and I would create a little bug hospital for them. Mm. And I would find out, well, you know, if this bug lost his limb, what would you do? If this worm was cut in half, what would you do? And so it was kind of like I could create a caring atmosphere for not things that I really made an impact on, but things that brought me great joy. I loved caring for things. And then even when I was older, maybe like 13 or so, there was a lot of stray cats where I lived. 
but they weren't being fed. People weren't feeding them because they didn't want them to be stray all over the place and whatever. And I said, you know what? I, we had this, what we call play basement in our house, mm -hmm. which was not part of our real basement, but a kind of play area that we could play in. And I said, you know what? I'm going to help these cats. And I had like a feline hospital in my house. I would wow. feed them. I would you know, make sure they were warm. They weren't out on the streets, you know, so on and so forth. Let, little did I know that later on, I would develop a significant allergy to these cats. <laughs> but at the time, I, I, they were, you know, a significant part of my life. So um, I think those kind of gave the ground roots for what I just found extremely fulfilling. I found it helpful. I found it not helpful. I found it beneficial to me to help people, mm -hmm. to help animals that I, I really could thought I made a difference. Now, whether I did or not, I don't think my parents necessarily agreed with it, but I did. And it was very fulfilling for me. So those were kind of the grassroots of where I went. Um, my mom had a very, very good friend who was a nurse who my mom thought the world of. And as I was going through high school, um, she said, you know, you really should talk to Vi. She, she's got a lot of information for you. I said, yeah, you know, mom, I don't know what I want to do yet. You know, I, I think I'm going to want to go into nursing, but I don't want to be labeled as that. I, you know, let me try my waters. And like my sister said, I, I did try various things. I, I went to the Art Institute when I was young and, and was very lucky that my dad, you know, foot the bill for me and just took all these great classes, knowing that maybe this wasn't what I was going to pursue entirely but this was something that i loved and i also loved math and so i had the opportunity in the high school that i was at i was an all-girls high school to go to the illinois institute of technology and study advanced math so i had i had a lot of things coming at me mm -hmm. from a lot of different areas but i remember one thing that held me firm to what i was going to be and that was my dad my dad was a very um level focused individual who felt that uh, he raised three girls and a son. The three girls were very uh, independent and the son was very feminist supporting and said, you know what, Joan, I don't care what you do. This was when I was kind of f floundering a little bit when I was maybe in sophomore and junior year in high school, you know, not having to make mm -hmm. that absolute decision. And he said, I don't care what you do. He said, I'll give you the, what money we have. You know, we maybe, maybe can get some scholarships or something like that. But whatever it is that you do, you have to be self-supportive. You have to be able to take care of yourself. You have to pay your bills. You can't, you know, rely on someone to do that for you. Mm -hmm. Consequently, think about what you want to do. And he'd say, artist, nurse. Artist, don't pay the bills. Nurse, do pay the bills. So obviously I followed in that footsteps. I was very fortunate. I went to a great college, lived away. Um, and it was a wonderful experience, but I do give my dad the credit for saying, and at the time I thought, Oh, come on, dad, you know how that goes. And mm -hmm. I, I just said, you know what? He was right. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I could buy my own car when I graduated from college, I could get my own apartment. I could support myself. I didn't rely on anyone to do that for me. And it really made me feel really good. And, you know, being a nurse was everything that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of started me off in the beginning. Well, what a wise man. And I had the pleasure of meeting him many years ago. And it's great that you listened to him. But I want to I dig know. into, Joan, your quote. And you started out saying, you know, nursing was shied upon, shunned upon. But yet you what? still chose it. So, yeah. so what made you forge right, so ahead? Let me, yeah, let me expand on that a little bit. When um, you would ask people, 
what was a nurse? If you would just ask kind of the general public, um, what was a nurse? They would say, you know, it's that person who wears a short skirt, high heels, carries a, a syringe in her hand and just, you know, meets all the needs of the doctor in the hospital. I mean, that is literally what people would say. Now, obviously, as a nurse, that just irked me to no get out. And anyone who was a nurse, it did. But that's really what the public, I mean, that's what they saw in the movies. That what they, what's they, they saw in the artwork. You know, I'll never forget, there's a great uh, famous artist who painted a nurse just like that. I mean, she looked like she came out of, I don't know, whatever, but you know, she had, you know, black makeup on her face and she had this real, uh, uh, low slung outfit on and you know that's what people would say and so when you even when you'd meet guys that let's say you you know asked you what you were they kind of looked at you a little sarcastically if they didn't really know what a nurse was and say you're a nurse really mm. I mean it was just it was it yeah. was very demeaning so like yeah. a like a sex symbol yeah. or arm candy it was, for the doctor it was. it was the typical stereotype of what a, what people thought a nurse was and to this day and I actually had the, the very fortunate opportunity to serve as a member of a group of nurses throughout the country who decided that it was their responsibility to get to the media and say, you got to change this. You really got to change this. And we worked really hard at that. Unfortunately, COVID had to shine the spotlight that nurses are heroes, right? Now they're statues. And I see and they, they didn't wear capes and all those good little mantras they're saying. Yeah. Yes. And I love it. And and I see more men as nurses, which is also oh, wonderful. Right. It's right, wonderful. Right. Where that used to be shunned upon as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. In fact, unfortunately, many times it still is, but they're kicking butt about how they're really uh, making inroads into this. It's, it's really wonderful. Good. So Joan, going back in time a little bit, what would you tell your 20 something self? Well, Honestly, I would say you did good, Joan. I would say you picked a profession that, that was very meaningful to you, that made you feel really good about yourself. Yeah, and I, I think one of the other things that I would tell 20-somethings is, you know, realize who your support systems are because they are gonna be for, there for you no matter what you decide to do. I think that's one of the things that I realized in various you know, uh, rises and falls in my life is that you have some really good rises, but you have some really great falls. And unless you have somebody who can help you um, be a classmate, be a friend, be a coworker, colleague, that's, that's really what's going to get you through. So, but you have to develop those. They don't come to you. They don't say, okay, Joan, I want to be your mentor. <laughs> I want to be your support system. I want to be there for you. You have to put a lot of effort into saying, I need you. And I can help you, but you can help me more. Mm -hmm. And I think people, maybe they don't realize it. And I probably didn't realize it at the time. But when I look back, I say, boy, you were so lucky. Mm -hmm. Just luck played a really big part in it. Yeah, it's an investment. Friendship and support. Yeah. It's an yeah. investment. Two-way streets, for sure. So moving along the reinvention train, Joan, from nursing. And at that time, that was kind of a significant point in my life I wanted to be able to say like everybody else I graduated from college you know that was big I mean I truly was the first in my family um to graduate from college you know so it was Amazing. a big deal it was a really big deal but what I decided was that after I had gotten my bachelor's and worked for two years I was kind of getting itchy for something else I kind of felt like there was a little bit more that I could do um uh the um 
the way it looked like the the masters in nursing was going to be the next be all and end all. But the beautiful thing was, and I thank the Lord every day, is that the government realized that we needed more masters prepared nurses and they gave us money and they gave us money to go to school and they gave us money to live on. So I literally graduated with a master's of science in nursing, having no debt. Now you look at that now of what people are going through, right? And I say, how could, I, I mean, you know, what, how could that be? How was I so fortunate? But I was at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And what so a blessing. It just worked, yeah, it worked out great for me. It was tough. It was hard. Um, I never thought I was going to get through it. Um, you know, the expectations were phenomenal. Um, you know, you, you couldn't get less than a B and if you did, you were out. Um, you had to travel all over the city. I didn't have a car. We used to have to take public transportation. You wanted it so badly that you made it happen. And that that was the the beauty of it. What got you through those times where you thought you weren't going to make it? Yeah. Um, I think it was my classmates, you know, my, my soon to be husband who wasn't my husband at the time, um, was in medical school. He had his own, you know, he was living his own life, understandably so, because all he could do was eat, leave, live, breathe medical school. And all I could do was eat, live, breathe nursing school, you know, graduate school. And so we really didn't cross paths very much. I mean, you know, that's the way it was. So he wasn't around to give me a lot of support because I wasn't around to give him a lot of support. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it was. And I will never forget the, the preceptor that I had who took me under her wing. Um, One of the things that I always wanted to do when I was in graduate school was to do physiological nursing, if that makes any sense. What it means is that although nursing has tremendous theories of what it means to be a nurse and how you treat people and all those kind of great things. And she broke the um, barrier for me to get into the largest burn unit in the city and one of the best and got me working there in my clinical experience doing physiological measurements working with the chief of the burn unit who was fabulous and you know a a greater opportunity i could not have had but because she was my mentor and paved the way i had an opportunity that few other masters prepared students had i was really lucky what a unit to to be in that had to be emotionally hard and that's and that's when a lot of other hospitals didn't have burn units so anything in the city would come to us and i'm talking about catastrophic burns where you uh, I, mean, I don't want to describe them but you know where where you would just like oh my god this isn't going to be a survival and sure enough it was it was just it was amazing and i loved every second of it scared to death but loved every second of it. And I, I was very lucky. And I'm sure, you know, you not only helped heal them, but you had a connection with your patients. Absolutely. Yes, because you were working with them day in and day out. You you mentioned your Prince Charming, Dr. Buffalino. Mm-hmm. So you got married and you became a mom and you, you reinvented yourself there. Yeah. yeah. Well, what actually happened was we both graduated within three months of each other. I finished my graduate degree. He finished his medical degree. And then we decided that finally we could get married because neither one of us owed anything to each other. We didn't interfere with each other's life prior to that point. And we didn't have baggage to bring. We just, you know, we could start fresh. You know, we had known so many people who had gotten married in in school and, you know, the, the husband and wife were getting divorced. She was saying, you know, I paid for you to go to graduate school or I paid for you to go to medical school. And now you won't, we didn't have any of that. 
And that was a great way to start a relationship. So um, he was into his, what he was going to do. And I was into what I was going to do. And again, a lucky situation happened for me or a, a God granting situation. And that was another mentor of mine who I had had in undergraduate school was also working at the hospital that I was thinking about working at and said, you know, I got a deal for you. She said, I said, what? She said, it's different. It's out of the realm of what you're used to. You're going to kind of take some risks, but if you're willing to do it, I think you'll love it. And I said, okay, what is it? And she said, I know an opportunity where you can go into joint practice with the chief of surgery at this hospital, world-renowned guy, mm -hmm. and you can work together as physician and nurse. And I said, oh gosh, do I really want to do this? I mean, you know, I, I had already, I, you know, I, I was like, do I really want to get these nursing people mad at me because I'm, I'm not under nursing anymore. I'm in a, in totally independent of myself. I don't have roles to follow. I don't have nursing hierarchy to say, you know, you're doing good, you're doing bad, whatever. I didn't have any of that. But boy, I said, if I could make this happen, this would be a really great thing. Game changer. And I did it. I did it. I said, okay, let's go. And it was, oh, probably uh, I've had great experiences in my life, but a really great experience. And when I look back at it, for people that I've known when I was in that position, nurses that I had worked with and whatever, it was the perfect nursing scenario. It was what you wanted to do as a nurse, which was you were a nurse, he was a physician, and you helped the patient together. Mm. And it was pretty awesome. What's the one thing, Joan, from that experience that you carry with you today? That people can work together. Mm that you know, physicians and nurses, we're different. We do different things. We have our own body of knowledge. We, we, we complement each other, but we don't work against each other, which is what I think a lot of people thought that that was gonna be the case. We wanted to have a family. And I knew that doing so, I was working 70, 60, 70 hours a week. You know, Vince was working more than that, but I was working. And, and it was, those were our lives. We, we were good with it, but we kind of decided that maybe we wanted something else. So fortunately I was able to get pregnant and unfortunately I had a miscarriage. Mm. So um, I was at the time, which is not the way it is now, but at the time I was high risk. So my high risk OB said, you know what, John, maybe you ought to back off a little bit. So he said, why don't you see if you can go part-time? And I was very lucky. The physician that I worked with said, sure, if you can get me somebody else who can, you know, kind of job share with you, which at the time was kind of different. Um, I'd be happy to let you do that. He knew, you know, he knew me very well. He knew Vincent. So we did that. And that was like the perfect scenario to becoming a mom and a part-time worker mm -hmm. because I could focus on being a mom, but I could also keep my hands in the in the uh, trenches or whatever, and never didn't have to give up on what I really loved. Right. So yeah. it was just, it was, it was the perfect scenario. I, I've, I, to this day said, boy, was I lucky. Now, as it turned out, I had a wonderful baby boy and he was very healthy. And I also, at the time he had a dad, this dad that I talked to you about before, who went into early retirement and said, you know, Joan, I know it's important for you to work. Um, I don't think you can work full time. Like you said, you can't but I, I'm retired and I can watch, come and watch your son. Oh. So for two nights a week, he came, watched my son. I coordinated a group of cancer patients and their families and did a support group for them. And it was a good two, three years, four years that I did that until I had my second. And it, it was great because I could do both. I could use the resource that I had. And I think that's the other message that I want to say 
And we're, we're very lucky now because we do have resources for childcare, not what we should, but we do have some, um, so that you can do both mm -hmm. if you want. Mm -hmm. If you don't, hey, that's cool. But if you do, here it is. And, and you just have to search and look out and you know go to avenues that you never thought you would try, but do it and it, it can work. Mm -hmm. I was lucky. Yeah, and two beautiful yeah. gifts I heard come out of this, oh, Joan. Was yeah, absolutely. Your father spending time with his grandsons right? And you being able, you have your outlet to still be Joan and still, mm -hmm. you know, carry that title right? and the title of mom. Yeah, and what's yeah. missing, I think today is that job share because I, yeah, I, I, you know, that doesn't exist today. And I wish companies would bring that back because I think that'd be so helpful to moms. Yeah. And really, we, we do want to, we do want to do both, but we, we kind of have to realize that maybe that isn't an option. And that's okay. And that's what I'm going to talk about in the next phase of my life. Yes. Which was after uh, um, a while, I decided that it really was not beneficial to everyone involved to stay working part-time. So I decided I was going to step back and just kind of be a mom and be happy at being a mom. And I was happy at being a mom. I, I got involved in parent organizations. I ran auctions to raise money for schools. I tried to give back every way I could. And one of the unique things, again, for me, and I, you know, again, blessed, 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 was that um, I said, you know, what can I do as a mom? I love being a mom, but I want to do something that helps people. You know, I want to edge. I, I was so used to educating, educating families, ed educating patients, you know, that kind of thing. I said, well, what can I do? Well, lo and behold, the American Heart Association had a new program that they wanted to start, which was bringing health into the school system at the kindergarten level. So they said, you know, and, and I had met some of the people at the Heart Association. They said, you know, if you're willing to do this, get a group of friends, go out and raise some money because they weren't going to give me any money to bring these programs into the school. If you can go fundraise and then bring the programs into the school, we're all behind you. We'll do whatever we can. I had a great group of friends reached out to people that I thought I'd never tap into, but did. And we did it. We would go into the kindergartens. We did it uh, where our, where you went to school. You weren't unfortunately in kindergarten at that time, but, um, and brought in cow's hearts, actual cow's hearts, mm -hmm. and let the kids get comfortable with it and showed them the anatomy of ventricles and oracles. So talking about not being able to shed the education in your blood, you went back for your master's degree after well, your boys actually, were grown. Yeah, but what I did before that, and this is just kind of one of my, my recommendations for people reinventing themselves. I didn't go right back into my master's degree. I went to a junior college and I said, you know what? I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna see if this really is for me. So I went and did art. I did illustration, I did graphic design. You know, I did like one course a semester, one whatever. My kids were in school, I had time, it was right down the street. I mean, talk about a perfect scenario. And I didn't feel the pressure of being in a formal graduate program at that time. Plus, I didn't even know that a graduate program existed that I would have even wanted. I said, you know what, this is fun. I like it, I'm enjoying it. And it also brought to me, which I think is also really good in reinventing yourselves, is looking at other people and the careers that they choose. So here I am in junior college with a group of students who have dressed in goth. They have tattoos half over their bodies. They have pink hair, green hair, whatever. And I'm this traditional, I mean, maybe I was a little bit out there, but not very much. I, I learned to love them. I learned to 
understand where they were coming from. There's your nursing school speaking loud and clear about yeah. how everybody has to get along and you work together. And yeah. communication is so important to understand your audience, but understand the other person you're communicating with. What are their strengths? How can you be relatable? I think that that's so important. It's yeah. good advice. Yeah. yeah. And then lo and behold, because you're going to ask me now about me going back to graduate school, I had an opportunity. My husband was in the process of, um, of uh, building a new heart hospital out in the suburbs. And he had one of his patients actually was this um, director of this program at the University of Illinois called Biomedical Visualization. And when he knew Vince was designing this hospital, he said, you know, let me come talk to you because I think I've got something that you really could benefit from. Vince said, hey, you know, Vince was all, whatever you can give me, I will gladly take. <laughs> so um, he met him and, and uh, he had drawn some uh, specs of what he thought he might do. Well, they had this beautiful wall when you walked into the hospital that literally took the whole entrance of the hospital. And you walk in and he did this, oh, empowering, fabulous visual of cardiac, in, uh, human um, I wish I could show you a picture of, of what it actually turned out to be because it was, I was in awe. I, I, I said to my husband, I said, Vince, you got it. I mean, this, I don't care if you have to find money to pay for this guy. You got, I mean, he, this is fabulous. And so um, we then be kind of became a little more social with he and his wife and so on. And, and he got to know me and he was telling me about his program. And I was just like, yeah, well, you know, that's great, but that's not for me. I, I'm not ready to go back to graduate school again. And um, and he said, he said, well, you know, think about it. And Vince was kind of proud of me. He said, you know, the kids are in college. You know, I'm gone all the time. Maybe this is your time to kind of develop the new you, see what happens. So um, I said, well, okay. Well, lo and behold, I find out there's only six programs in the entire country in this, pro in this particular uh, artistic uh, realm. And um, they only take 10 to 15 people per year. Wow. And I'm like, there is no way. There is no way. Because I saw some of the things that these students were doing. I mean, unbelievable. And um, so I, I, he said, well, you know, think about it. Here's an application. Well, when I read the application and found out how much I had to do to apply, I was like, oh boy. But I really didn't have a lot, you know, whatever. So I, I did bite the bullet and say, I'm going to apply. And again, someone was watching out for me and said, you know, with your background in nursing, with your background with a master's, you can bring something to the table here that nobody else has been able to bring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think got me in the program yeah. because I really wasn't the artist like some of my classmates were. I mean, they were beyond, beyond. They could, they had skill sets that I never, ever would have. But I think I brought something that they didn't have and we could all benefit from each other. The only problem was that I came in at a 50 plus year old individual and they were in their 20s. And I said to myself, I am going to go in there. I am as old as their mothers. You know, they're going to look at me like that's my mom telling me things, you know, and I, I was like, I can't do this. I can't be their mom. I, I, that's not what I want to be. I want to be at their level. I want to, you know, do what they do. I want to socialize with them. I, that's the way we're going to get along. And so it was, it was kind of a, uh, I, I didn't realize the big change that I had made in my life at that time, 
but my husband will say, you know what, <laughs> you, you, you had a no whole new hairdo. You had a whole new way of dressing. You had all new music, whatever you were coming down to their level. And that's what made it successful. I love you it. Know? And they embraced me. They really and truthfully embraced me because I wasn't their mother. I wasn't going to rag on them. I wasn't going to, I was their classmate mm -hmm. and I needed as much from them as they needed from me. And you tried to understand them and you did, yeah, right? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and to them. this day, we still maintain very close contact and, and they're just great people. And it's like making new friends back in, you know, grade school or even mom to mom, right? My husband jokes exactly. with me about right. getting mom digits. Right. If some a mom asked me for my number for a play date, I get so giddy and excited, right? Mom digits. But you did that back at school. Right. So what helped you yeah. when you yeah. were maybe a little fearful about becoming friends with them? I was definitely fearful about becoming friends with them. I, 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 I would get in my little cubicle and just kind of hide myself because I knew that they were just at a different level than I was, you know, I, I just, but again, it was them reaching out to me and me saying, Oh, come on, Joan, give it a try. Acceptance. We all want to belong at every level in your life, 50, 60, 70, 20, 30, whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That never goes away. Yeah. And I will tell you that this program was like none other for me. I, I thought all of the career paths that I had done were hard. All of them were stressful. All of them had, had tested me at a level I never thought I could meet. <laughs> this, that was nothing in comparison to what I was doing. I, I started that program. We had to take, uh, I think there were four courses we took our first semester. The first one of the ones that I had to take was an anatomy course. Now, I'm a nurse. I got a master's. I know physiology. I know anatomy, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. I was in, we were in class, there were the 10 of us at the time, we're in class with medical students, doctorates, physical therapy students who want to become, who had to get their doctorate in physical therapy. They were the gunners. You know how that is. I mean, they are the ones who are like, that's all they do, eat, breathe, live, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to survive, we had to be gunners too. You know, we just, I mean, I, I, I got a place to live close to school because I was at school seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday. I was at school eight o'clock in the evening doing cadaver dissection. I mean, we all did it because that was the way we had to survive. And if you didn't pass this course with a B, you were gone. Mm. And of course, the first test that I got was a C minus. I never self-doubted myself as much as I did that semester. But it turns out that a lot of my classmates were in the same situation. They got C minuses. The, unfortunately, the faculty member that we had who taught the class was very difficult to understand. And we, we just kept bouncing things off each other again and again and again. And we had great um, uh, TAs who would help us with what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. And we, we got through it. How did you get through it? Oh, I'll tell you what I learned. So this was, and I will say this, this was my Alzheimer's class in maintaining my mental status. When I was younger, I could look at something two times. I remembered it. I didn't have a photographic memory, but I remembered what I was saying, what I was seeing, and I could report it back. 15 times it would take me to remember this. I bought every teaching aid that was imaginable, computer simulation, flashcards, um, 
uh, feedback loops, everything. I mean, money was no object because I was going to pass this course and I was going to buy all the things that I needed to have. Mm -hmm. That's what helped me get through it. And my classmates, we would have study sessions again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Your grit And, and your hard work. Yeah. I lost weight. I became withdrawn. I think I was going to lose my hair because I was so nervous, you know, all the time. I finally said to my sister, I'm going to quit. What do I need this for? I don't need this in my life. You know, why am I subjecting myself to this? But someone, some way, somehow, it, they kept me going and I got through it. And the rest was difficult, but nothing like that first semester. Mm-hmm. So going back to yeah. some of that fear, what was the biggest concern you had going back to school in your 50s? That I was going to fail. I, I just I just wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't going to be enough. And that's when it made me realize that as an individual, and this would be a recommendation that I would give to people, is that you never stop trying to improve yourself. You never, ever do. Because the minute you stop trying, that's the minute that an opportunity comes up that you're not prepared for. But when you keep trying and trying new avenues and thinking of things that you can do differently, that's when the opportunity comes to you and you say, I can give this a try. Mm-hmm. And I think as you know, uh, multiple career paths that we all, especially nowadays, because you know, it used to be you, you took a job and you stayed in that job for 50 years and you retired from that job. Well, that isn't the way it is now. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it definitely won't be the way it is in the future. So that unless you can reinvent yourself and create a different dynamic, it's going to be very tough. It's going to be very, very tough. Let's make it a benefit that says, yes, I can learn more. And yes, I can be better no matter what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think in retrospect, that program helped me realize. Always be learning. Always be yeah, learning. Always. It's, you know, you, you can rap on your kids about how you've got to do that. You've got to do that. But it holds true for you too. And until you can prove to them that you're doing it, they don't hold you in accountability like you hold them. Right. So. For the rest of our lives as parents, right? Absolutely. So, Joan, you persevered through the master's degree, you graduated, and you started your own business. So tell us about your company. So after um, going to, technically you had a, the, the program was complete in two years. Well, it took me more than two years to get done because again, it was a thesis you had to um, do and you had to present it and get it accepted and all the rigmarole that's involved in writing a thesis. And I just, I just knew that I just couldn't do it. And probably most of the, my classmates didn't do it either. I think there were three of the 10 of us who did do it at the regular time. The majority of us took longer, but that was okay. Um, but having had that and having the, the rigidity of this class and all those kind of things, I said to myself, I don't want this, whatever my next phase is going to be. I want to be independent. I want to call my own hours. I want to call my own um focus that I do. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. And I also want to be able to go when I want to go and stay home when I want to stay home and go on a vacation. And because, you know, again, by that time I was my late fifties and I said, you know, this is, I'm not getting any younger. I need to look about for me. So um, I said, okay, I'm going to start a business in school. We had a whole uh, component in graduate school about business development, writing uh, basic business plans, you know, skill setting, how you uh, finance a company. And so I thought, oh, you know, I, I can do this. I don't need to make a lot of money, but I don't need to fail either. I don't need to go into debt because I can't make this work. And so I, I was fortunate enough, two of my friends from class were also kind of in the same situation. And they said, well, 
they didn't really want to bankroll the business because they were younger and whatever. Um, they said, you know, we'll work with you. We'll be the illustrators and you be the creative director of this company. And I said, great. I love going out and pitching ideas and, you know, telling people what they could do, uh, 3D animation and computer graphics and all those kind of things. We can just do whatever we want to do. We tried and we did succeed. Um, and I, I can go on that later about some of the things that we had done, but it wasn't the, um, the uh, overall positive experience that I thought it would be. Mm. It was tough. You know, I had to pitch to people who wanted, didn't even have the, want to have the time of day to listen to me. You know, they, they um, here I was trying to do these new things and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard that all before, you know, we've, we've got other people who can do that, whatever. So what I decided to do was to kind of rely on the people that I knew the best, which was nurses and say, you know, I'm a nurse. And if, in fact, one of the other people who was in my business was a nurse, you know, and had completed uh -huh. the program with me. So we said, you know, we have a background that most people don't have. Um, you know, we, we can give you a skill set and, and product that you won't get elsewhere. We had the opportunity to develop a program for a cardiac um, physicians group. We had the opportunity to, to develop some alternative medicine uh, marketing campaigns. We had the opportunity to even at, at the beginning of a new uh, project for patient monitoring home systems, we got to go in at the ground level and begin to develop things for them. That was very fulfilling, didn't make a lot of money but we felt really good about that. And then I also had the opportunity to um, work with people that I had known who were nurses and physicians to develop a new program in um, high school care to try to focus on weeding out those high school students that might be a setup for car hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is the silent killer for young athletes. Yes. I was on the ground level, made the logos and the pitches and all that from the um, visual standpoint. And it, it was a wonderful experience. Again, didn't make a lot of money because they didn't have any money. They were getting grants for this too, but had uh, the three of us had some great opportunities in that. So that worked out great, but I knew that I needed more. So I decided I was gonna go to the nursing school that I graduated from mm -hmm. and see if I could kind of use some of the relationships that I had, so on and so forth. Although they wanted everything that I pitched you know, they're not for profit. They don't have any money. You know, it's that same thing that you fall into. So they said, you know what, we really want to help you and do whatever we can, but right now we don't have anything. She said, but I want to say to you that there's a, there, there's a, a nurse who's presenting her PhD thesis. And I think you do well from her, from what you're telling me that you're interested in. Why don't you go and listen to what she's got to say? I had nothing to lose. I did. Mm -hmm. Well, behold, I walked in, she started presenting and I looked at her, I'm like, I know you. And it turns out that she was in the undergraduate class a year below me. And she actually worked as a, as a nurse practitioner when I worked at, at Loyola in these different roles, this more independent role. And she, her thesis was trying to define what the public thought of the nurse. And this was maybe the middle, like 2005, no, 2007, 2008. So that was way before we, you know, were able to show the world what we really can do. Right. Before you were superheroes. She said, you know, let's meet up. I got some jobs that I think maybe you'd be interested in. I have a little bit of extra money. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some different things and 
you know, let's see what we can do. So we worked together and we got along really, really well. And I felt I could help her and she felt she could help me. Lo and behold, she gets this opportunity to develop this new program in the School of Nursing, but for health system management. She knew, you know, I was that I was very much into how to present and, you know, how could you visualize to teach people and all those kind of things. And she said, you know, Joan, if you if you're kind of looking, because maybe, you know, things aren't going exactly the way you want with my business. She said, what did you think of, what would you think about teaching? And I had had a minor in education in my first master's degree, and I was teaching all the time, no matter whatever I did, either families or patients. And I said, you know, Mira, I think I could give it a shot. I said, do you think I'd be, you know, do it? She goes, Joan, you have, you can do whatever you want in this class. It's brand new. We don't have any, you know, thing we have to follow. If you feel it's necessary that this is what you think these administrative students need to have, go for it. My first year, it was wonderful. And I realized that I could, again, build upon every skill set that I had in different ways, but I could use that to deliver what I thought was a very meaningful education to these students because they weren't healthcare professionals. They really didn't know about it. I mean, you know, we talked a long time about whether we needed to have them take a course in medical um, uh, terminology because they really didn't even know anything. You know, how could they come out and be these administrators and they don't even know what a what a pacemaker is or what a defibrillator is or, you know, why is a patient on do not resuscitate or all those kind of things. You know, they didn't know it because these were people who had never been worked in a medical situation or in a healthcare situation. Mm -hmm. So we had a we had a grand time in in developing things and and doing things that were very cutting edge with our students. Our students were very willing to grow with us and try new things and it, it just couldn't have gone better. It mm -hmm. just really could not have gone better. This part of the story makes me smile, Joan, because it really interweaves reinvention at its best. You yes. tried and you did a, the one job and it wasn't working out, right? Owning your own business to the, was it, it was working, but not to your expectations. Yes. The and, door and closes. We're not too high, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when one door closes, you're the perfect example of another opportunity opens. You didn't see it coming. And it was the perfect fit at no, the didn't. right time for your life. Right, right. But again, it goes and reinforces that philosophy that we've talked about, which is you, you, you got to be out there. You got to, you have to say, you know, I'm going to strive for better. I'm going to strive for improving me, you know, and that's where I think it's so great that, you know, in, in our lifetime now, we can do many things. We don't have to be fit into this one example of, you know, you're a nurse and you've got to work in the hospital and you got to work, you know, nights and weekends and all that kind of stuff. Th those days are gone. We, we don't have to do that anymore. We can change things. We can make it to our advantage to feel good about, you know, again, it's, it's feeling good about yourself mm -hmm. and feeling good about when, when you deal with people that they feel good about being in your presence. They like how you make them feel. And that, that was kind of what I was striving for through all of this. You know, let's let people know that you want to make them feel good, that you have the skill set, you're willing to be flexible, you're willing to be spirited, you're willing to maybe get knocked on the head a couple times, but that's all right. Just give it a whirl. And if it doesn't work, try, try again. You're a beautiful example of someone that's diversified themselves, changed its course throughout your life. Any regrets on things you may have done differently? Yes, I think I should have been, I think particularly with the business, with me starting my business, 
Um, I was willing to take risks in some of these other positions that weren't already established and I, I was okay with that. But in the business, I should have had more mentors who were business people. I, I didn't reach to that avenue that I wish I would have done. I thought we could, we thought we could do it on our own and we couldn't. We would have learned and been better business people had we reached out, had we used others. And I think that's, that reinforces the idea of you never know who your mentor is going to be. It could be the person you, you least expect. But if you can, you know, be honest and say, you know, I need help and can you help me? You usually benefit, benefit from it in the long run. Mm -hmm. Reach out to mentors and, and uh, supporters you know, who can either support you financially because you're starting, you know, you're starting a new business or supporters who can say, hang in there, it's going to get better. Right. And, or make you realize that, no, it's not going to get better. And you better think about changing and that's okay. That's good. Right. So, Tough love, know, feedback. So exactly, important exactly. for growth. You know, Gail, you hit it on the head. You have to have some tough love with yourself and then listen to what other people are telling you, because although you don't want to hear it, Mm -hmm. It's really what helps you grow. Right. You know, and if we don't grow, we stay stagnant. We won't reinvent ourselves. And the best no. is yet to come. Absolutely. And so if you can, as we kind of round the turn to the last part of the topic here, is the best is yet to come. Picture yourself back on the highway, John, and you see the following billboard. As you're driving to downtown Chicago to meet your two daughters-in-law for a lovely brunch. Joan Buffalino, my amazing sister. Created by your sister, your other sister, Dr. Marilyn Augustine, head of developmental pediatrics at Boston University. And when I asked Marilyn why those words describe the very essence of you, Joan, she said, Joan has been taking risks since she was a child. As my oldest sister, she tested all waters, first from going to college, grad school, managing work-life balance, and then worked hard for others to follow in her footsteps. Joan is the ultimate thinker outside the box. In fact, most times she works hard to make sure the box doesn't happen in the first place so that opportunities are available to all. Joan is constantly pushing others forward ahead of herself. She is empowering while keeping a clear sense of who she is and what she values. I think I did good in the sister department. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think thinking outside the box does, does summarize me. I just couldn't accept the status quo. I just knew that there were things, you know, I, I guess, and looking at this retrospectively, I was a little of a rebel inside myself, Ooh. realizing that I could only go so far in this rebelness, but I was going to push it till it maybe hit me in the head kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm proud of that. Because, be. you know, if you don't try to change things and if you don't try to do things differently, what, what kind of world do we have? You need to take time and you need to be patient and you do it. You have to do it little by little by little. And I think nowadays the whole thing is, you know, well, you know, go to a coach and she, she or he will change you and your whole life and whatever. But it's really that, you know, working with you and helping you take step by step of what you can do brainstorm with yourself, brainstorm with other people, mind map. I mean, I don't know how many mind maps I had done in my career saying, you know, you can do this and you can do this and you can do this and you can do this. And, and finally it kind of helped me say, well, you know, maybe you can take all those things and maybe become the one thing in the middle. So, you know, the 
Forbes 50 over 50 article came out in the spring. Part two of the trifecta just came out. You're the perfect profile. Oh, it, did. it did. It did. And there's a, there's a great lineup. Your profile aligns beautifully with 50 over 50. And so as we end this conversation today, how do you stay positive and opportunistic, Joan, when you think about the best is yet to come versus maybe the negative of the clock is ticking mentality? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think actually having to kind of think about what I might say, particularly in this circumstance, made me realize that, um, you know, age is is what age is to whoever it is, and it doesn't matter. I mean, there's people who are successful in their 80s, their 90s, you know, their 50s, their 40s, all that kind of stuff. Be a little selfish and think about, you know, when you get to that point in your life that you have to kind of take a step back and say, what do I want to do? So on behalf of all the women in STEAM, I thank you. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and helping men to realize what roles women can play because we are just as successful as they are. Yes. So, Joan, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Oh, you are welcome, Gail. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I hope it provides some insight for people that you can do it. You really can do it. Maybe a little bumps in the road, but it's all worth it. All of it. Okay, so was I right? You jotted down a few takeaways and tips from today's reinvention, has no age limit conversation with Joan Buffalino. After chatting with Joan, I sure have a few more tools to add to my toolbox. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joan. And a special thank you to Joan for spending time with us. A special thank you to you, our valued listeners, and to Joan's family, Anne, Marilyn, Shams, and Kaylin for helping celebrate her today as well as to New Voice Studios for producing our podcast series. The three key takeaways from my conversation today with Joan are, one, it's important to be self-supportive, to be able to stand on your own two feet, to understand the checks and balances of living on your own. Two, create a mind map as you map through your dreams, your reinvention, and simply your life in general. It's a great check-in point to keep yourself on track and motivated. And lastly, take the tough love. Listen to what others have to say and be open to feedback. In closing, please visit gailkeller.org for more information on how I can empower corporations and universities with respect to gender inclusion and women in tech with respect to taking risks in their professional lives to reinvent themselves via personal transformation coaching to live a more fulfilled and balanced life that aligns to one's specific priorities. As we reimagine our professional lives in a post-COVID environment, it's not about work-life balance, but work-life integration. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.